good afternoon or good whenever you listen to this. Um, I hope you're doing extraordinarily well wherever you are, and may I welcome you to the Library Talks podcast. Uh, this is a Sutton-based podcast just out of London, uh, where we'll be talking mainly books, uh, but also topics around books, topics that interest us, topics that we're passionate about, topics that we have personal investment in. So we hope you enjoy yourself, we hope you stick around, there's some great discussions, and you may get a handy book recommendation out of it too. My name's Josh, I'll be your host for today, and also with me is Lindsay. Say hi, Lindsay. Hi. Brilliant. And I'm also with Rebecca. Say hi, Rebecca. Hello. Hi. Okay, really. How are you guys doing? You doing all right today? Yeah. Not too bad. Yes, not yeah. in the library today because of the... Uh, Social situation. isolating, the situation. <laughs> so we're um, um, calling in from home where we've been reading our, uh, our book club books and um, uh, enjoying the library's online offerings. Yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of uh, kind of uh, offers and apps and services that even if you don't come to our library physically, you can still kind of access the library as it were. We've got this My Library app that you can come in, uh, come into the app and like... Uh, Order, order books online, reserve them, renew them, like phone, and there's like loads of ebooks, loads of audio books, like loads of stuff available, right? So we're kind of just like enjoying that as best we can without coming to the crazy, crazy library, right? But we do miss the library, and please do use it when we all come back from Google. <laughs> Everyone loves the library. Looking forward to, but I do read a lot of ebooks anyway because for years and years I've carried round a um, a bag with several books in in case I finish one on the train and don't uh, and then don't have anything to read for the rest of the journey. So I've always carried the one I'm reading and the extra one. So I'm a natural ebook reader because you can fit a lot of books onto your device. The other thing I absolutely love is today's book funny you don't look autistic, is available both to listen to and to read. So last night when I was doing fairly boring uh, tidying and cleaning the kitchen, sweeping, I was listening to the story at the same time. And then when I got to sit down with my cup of coffee, I flipped back to the uh, print version and read it. And that's something that I really do enjoy about these ebooks. Yeah, that's kind of really happy, actually. You kind of like can start on one medium in like one uh, like in one place and you get to a certain page where you can kind of pick up where you left off on another device um like if you, if you have to move around or whatever and then you can go back and like carry on with so you kind of like don't have to stop no matter what your life is kind of like where you're moving around to you can carry on wherever you are um i mean i like that image you kind of make yourself sound like a sort of book kangaroo where you kind of have like just a bunch in your pouch and you're kind of traveling you're hopping along with you as well that sounds really good I like, I like the idea of you as like a book kangaroo. Um, but thank you for also bringing us into uh, the kind of main topic we want to talk about today. Uh, Funny You Don't Look Autistic, A Comedian's Guide to Life on the Spectrum. Uh, that's a book on offer right now as part of the Big Library Read. Uh, it's like an online global book club, so we've all kind of uh, had a, what I say we've all, you guys uh, have had a read of it, and I, the peasants have not, so I'm kind of wondering uh, why I should uh, why I should like partake into this book. Why should I get into it? Um, I've got a little blurb here uh, that I can kind of read to the listeners just to give us an idea of what this book is. Uh, so, funny you don't look autistic. A comedian's guide to life on the spectrum. It's a book by Michael McCary. 
Uh, he's a stand-up comedian, uh, as you can imagine, with autism, uh, or at least on the spectrum of autism. Uh, and the blur is slaying autism stereotypes of stand-up, one joke at a time. Like many others on the autism spectrum, 20-something stand-up comic Michael McKeary has been told more than, well, uh, more than a few well-meaning folks that it doesn't look autistic. Look, it, it tends to be commas there. Uh, but as he's quick to point out in this memoir, autism looks different for just about everyone with autism. Diagnosed with ASD at age five, Michael McKeary got hit with the performance bug not much, uh, bug not much later. During a difficult time in junior high, he started journaling, eventually turning his pain into something empowering and funny. So uh, let's start off with Rebecca. If I can like reference you specifically. Um, I'm sure you're um, comfortable with this and you're not um, sort of against our listeners knowing, but uh, you uh, yourself are on the autistic spectrum, um, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, what if you could like, if you, if you could like let me know what's, uh, how does it affect you? Like how far or where on the spectrum are you and how accurately does funny you don't look autistic how actually does the book kind of represent uh, like what you go about in your daily life well i was unlike the author uh, michael was diagnosed at five years old which for boys is common to be diagnosed at a very very young age um but for girls such as myself um it's much later in life that we get diagnosed so i wasn't actually diagnosed until 18 um but going through and it's the same with many men that write books not being gender specific but <laughs> when they're talking about schooling and how it was for them and the challenges that they faced at school these most of the differences they knew as well i and most girls don't know because they always put the girls down hormones um but this guy, Michael, was self-aware from a very young age. And he also had a sibling with autism as well. Um, so the two can kind of balance each other out. Um, but, so yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a weird one. Because right. there's some things that you can relate to because I'm high-functioning autistic. So I can... Functioning in daily life is easy, but then it also has its challenges socially. It is there's certain things in the book that I've highlighted that we'll get into that are common for all people with autism, but just in a different way. And there was a good quote, I think it was on very early on in the book, where he said something along the lines of everyone that has autism has a stigma. People autism Everyone believes that it's you're autistic. We're all the same. We're not. Everyone is different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's as that he put it through as a still and rigid framework, which it's not. <laughs> it really isn't. You meet two people with autism in a room, and I can tell you now they're completely different people. Yeah, I like the way he made that point that uh, that he couldn't only speak for his own experience that autism is so different both uh, in how it 
uh, might affect your your behaviour and sensitivities, and of course your environment. I know um, uh, one young woman who grew up in a family where the extended members of the family have got a lot of um, Asperger's syndrome or high functioning autism, um, and. Uh, uh, the uh, educational psychiatrist uh, checking her said, yes, she definitely does have autism, but I'm not going to say she's disabled. Her environment is so perfectly matched to her that she isn't disabled by the condition at this time. Later on at high school, she had more challenges, but um, uh, and, uh, and I appreciated Michael's book, the, uh, some of the challenges he had, in fact, uh, getting the diagnosis, the... Um, uh, explaining his side of the uh, the great uh, curtain ripping down and also the Lego meltdown till he finally met a doctor who had met enough uh, people on the autistic spectrum that uh, they uh, that they knew a lot more about what to ask and what to look for and um, could interpret uh, his his statements and his worldview better he was one of the children who um, watched uh, movies and re remembered the little phrases that people said and um, just repeated them instead of answering in his own words. And sometimes, um, sometimes he knew what he was saying, but a lot of the time he just answered a cue in the person speaking. So um, when his father said, uh, uh, who, who's broken the window with the softball? He answered that Q accusation, he said, round up the usual suspects, not actually reacting to his father's anger or even trying to uh, to cover up what he had done. Oh, that's really cool. Okay, so you're saying that um, the author, he understands that, um, yeah, autism, that it affects people in a wide variety of ways. There's a wide kind of range of uh, sort of different uh, and uh, he acknowledges that he himself can only speak to what's true of himself and his own kind of needs, right? And he understands that, um, yeah, many people need many different kind of settings and uh, parameters like put in place in order to sort of help them handle their, um, their condition, right? Yes, he was also he was also um, uh, cheerfully funny about the fact that uh, if you're reading this book and reading about some of the challenges he had with uh, getting on with people at school, understanding adults, um, calming his anxieties, uh, and uh, absolutely loving movies and learning all the words out of them, uh, he said that uh, as the reader of the book, you might be going, "Oh, oh, I, I identify with this," and he says, "Put down that BuzzFeed quiz." You can only be diagnosed as autistic by a medical professional. And the fact that uh, uh, people with autism are people means that us neurotypicals will have an awful lot of uh, connections. But the fact is, um, generally, if you're neurotypical, uh, let's say you particularly dislike a particular flavor or you absolutely loathe wearing wool clothing because it makes you itchy, your brain can cope. These can be minor annoyances. You know, sometimes you just have to suck it up. The reason why the uh, autistic spectrum disorder is disabling is because you can't just suck it up. You've actually got to find a, a whole yeah. other way round um, yeah. because your, your mind uh, quite frequently um, can't filter out all the stimulus. So yeah, you uh, like a blockade that you just can't get around. Uh, yeah. Well, that thing points out 
and it's so with most autistic books and he and he's done it of people that write autism about, about autism about their life and stuff and michael's done it in his book as well they have like little diagrams and stuff so for anyone that's actually got the book the little sort of there's stuff like small chalk madlands which is just hilarious like you fit it in yourself and you just think that's exactly but they he has little things and one of the i think one of the areas he looks at was like sensory stuff so as lindsay was saying about having itchy wool like on your skin and stuff it's also noise as well like a little buzz to to a normal person of an alarm going off can be annoying i think you listen to that that alarm going off for 10 minutes for a normal pet and they can just sort of block it out and carry on with their day but for someone with autism um and it's also been represented uh, it's been represented so many times if someone with autism that little buzz will be in their head all day even after it's probably gone off i've had it so many times when an alarm personally when an alarm's gone off or i have it when like one of my things is people talking to me in a strange voice that i know or singing <laughs> Like, if someone sings to me, or like, you know when someone's describing a song to you, and starts singing, one, it's cringy, and awkward, but two, it's just like, who are you? Go away. (laughs) And then my sense for kids, like, I I did one time training, I remember, I always remember, and all these people that I knew were singing, and I was like, why are you singing? You don't, you just talk to me as a normal person. Like, and when I'm at a train station, that's another thing that really, one of my sensory things, and I think he just, his train's going past. For some reason, trains going past on a track is the most annoying thing in the world. And I think the way that he describes, like, sensory noises and stuff is just so, like, accurate. It's just like, this. It's annoying. So, like, trains going past, well, that, like, like, hours after the train is Yeah. Gone. Yeah. That's and he's saying, like, I didn't know that. Like, he was saying he put that he's probably like loud noises and, like, truck noise and that. But to somebody else, like, just noise. it's just noise. Like, people, yeah. another thing, like, Matt, like, he's got a brother who's also an autistic, and he writes a little bit anecdotes, Michael, about it, and he said that his brother. It says another thing, Matty hated wearing clothes. <laughs> and of course, we were out in public, he would be fully clothed. The second we got home, he'd rip off every, everything and cannibal into the nearest pile of snow. I mean, that could cause problems anyway, but I think it's quite funny how yeah, noise is a big thing, but also, yeah, certain fields are exactly the same. <laughs> you, you make it sound like. Um... Like, imagine when you're talking to someone and they're telling you their dream, and even in that moment, you don't want to hear it. But if you couldn't stop hearing it in your own head for like the next half a day, <laughs> that feels like the yeah, Every time we look at that person, we go, I remember you telling me about that. <laughs> yeah, I remember you making that weird, weird sound. It's like when he, when he talks about like not wearing, being able to wear clothes, like his brother going completely stark naked. I mean, one that's illegal in this country, and you wouldn't turn up to work naked. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, when you work, but anyone in general, I think for us working in a library, we wear lanyards constantly. Yeah. And I bet for us, it probably feels like that. Like, why? what is this strange foreign object around my neck, and why do I have to wear it? 
and then you take it off at the end of the day and you're like, ah, relief. Yeah. Because it gets in the way of life. So I suppose if you use it in that sort of sense, it's like, as I say, wearing a lanyard and it getting in your way constantly. And it's like the one thing you can't get rid of. Mm. And like, uh, like I know you, um, you're quite like Rebecca, you're, you're quite a, like a happy, positive, like upbeat person, like a lot of the time. Um, Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, the nicest person I've ever known. Um, and uh, like kind of like the title of this book even implies, like you don't look autistic. You don't have like a kind of image or, uh, or, or like a, uh, just like that that bizarre of what people imagine when they think of like autism um and I, I just wanted to like know or ask like do you ever get uh like kind of surprise reactions maybe when people are talking to you do you ever like see it in people's eyes or, or the way people treat you that oh they thought you were like one thing and then they think you're another thing and um like are you able to kind of like uh be happy like when if people are kind of talk to you like that or it's uh, weird that people like it's weird reading this book i think the authors are on the same age as me and he doesn't bring it up but i don't know if it's a male thing or a female thing but you know you say they're talking about funny you don't look interested but someone turned around and said to me that i've got a baby face and that goes with autism and i'm thinking wow. how is that linked do i look you <laughs> by looking young Good than I am, how is that linked to having autism? Yeah, how does and that then, that? That's so not having a look of autism, no, I look like a normal person, I think. But people say you have an autistic the autistic baby face. And I'm like, what is that? Is that a thing? Like I know other people with autism and I could tell you now. They don't have baby faces because they're not babies. We're fully grown adults that are functioning in the world, walking around talking to you. Um, like, how do you react to that? Do you react like positively, or do you just the chin? Or it depends on what I'm doing. So, it like if I'm going to say for a birthday present for a family member or a friend, or buying them alcohol, and I get ID'd, some people will take that as a compliment. Yeah. But, but for me, it's like oh. I'm 24 and I'm being ID for an 18th, so I really looked that young. And then someone thought, like, I was, I, I got, I think the funniest moment that's probably happened to me, it, like, when people thought I was younger than what I was, I got ID'd for a PG film. <laughs> and he took my, <laughs> I, think I, was, I think it was the Adam family, and I was buying, Ooh. I had the, and I was with my friend, who is a lot older than me, and well, she's not a lot older than me, Professor Hart, but we had, she, the guy had my driving license with my date of birth in his hand, and he looked at it and he went, that's fine, but he still proceeded to look me up and down, as if I'd given him a completely fake ID, which I can tell you now I've got a real provisional license. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I am a person, and that is my date of birth when I was born on that age. And I yeah. think when that happens, you don't know if you're flattered or yeah, it's a bit like, But then you say to someone that maybe you wouldn't miss, some people, it might be the right opportunity to say I am autistic, like employers, if they are like, 
I've learned to tell employers I'm autistic. Some people mm. don't like doing it, but I think it's right to do it. But friends and stuff, you sort of have to, I don't know, it depends on the friend. But I think now with a level of maturity, you say, oh, I'm autistic. They're like, well, okay, whatever. We're still you. So can still a- I of you think of any stand-up moments from the book, from Michael's life, from Michael's memoir, where he kind of had to confront... Uh, well, I can add to yeah. Oh, I can Someone, definitely like, think of one. Uh, he. Um, you the, 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 the transit cops. He makes the point yes. that um, yes, you can. Uh, so it, it, it's quite funny, but I. Um, it's also one that I think is very, very relatable. Um, uh, on the day of my nineteenth birthday, I strolled to the bus stop a little too cocky. I had sorted New York. I was an independent adult. <laughs> I was alone, save for three other people, and one of them was a transit cop. Uh, and he, um, he's, he's made a, a basic mistake in understanding. He thinks that he got one um, Metro, one Oyster card, and that he's just fine from now on. In fact, he's got, the, he's got a monthly one, and, and it's a complete misunderstanding, and he gets fined uh, so much that in the end he, he finally has to actually confess to his parents because um, he's trying so hard to be independent. No young man wants to go back to mum and dad to solve what's basically a parking fine. Um, um, yes, uh, initially I was embarrassed by the thought of having my folks yet again fight my battles for me. But then again, I was also embarrassed by my own inability to emotionally cope with what was basically a parking ticket. I gave my mother the number to call and paced anxiously in the living room. She explained to the prosecutor what had happened. Um when did he get the two? And, and then, and then his mom uh, embarrasses him totally by launching into the "Oh, but he's autistic" defence. Um, and um, yeah, let's play that card. Yeah, my mom, yeah. not realising she was talking to the judge, said, "Yeah, I do," and gave them a piece of her mind. She complained about the unclear wording on the uh, New York Oyster Pass <laughs> transit pass and the way I'd been treated by the transit cops, which was indeed quite scary for somebody who's autistic and rule bound. The judge agreed, well, gee, that sounds like one big misunderstanding. I think he's learned his lesson, and if it doesn't happen again, no harm done. But it was his fourth offence, the prosecutor wailed fruitlessly. <laughs> but the judge had already reached a verdict. Court adjoined. <laughs> I love, I love like, a mother's love there. Like, no matter what, she will take on anyone to defend her own children. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure it was, like, worded as suitably as, like probably could be that monthly pass. This is an annual pass. This is the daily one or whatever. Yes. And you just have to pick the wrong one. But and, I'm like, no, no, no. The system's wrong. And and, and, and this is and this is this is the truth of mom power. Here's the real payoff, though. After my court case, I noticed the wording on the transit website had changed. It now said <laughs> pass expires on the first of next month. Yeah, no, duh, thinks pretty much everybody who reads it, it's a monthly pass, it lasts a month. But remember, every time you see a label or warning sign or disclaimer telling you something that seems incredibly obvious, it's there because someone somewhere tried to do that thing. You know the label on the Windex window cleaner telling you not to drink it? It's there because someone somewhere <laughs> tried to drink the Windex. Yeah. I, and... Um, He's also, and just after that, he's got a little, um, like Rebecca said, a little table of um, things people say and what they mean. And my favourite one is the first one, what they said. Don't take offence, but 
what they meant. I'm now adequately preparing you for offence. <laughs> Commencing offence now. That's enough preamble disclaimer. I'm now going to say the exact opinion I had in my head, <laughs> despite if it makes you uh, uh, like annoyed or not. That, that's pretty much what that means. Yes, yes. Well done. Uh, the um... no, I absolutely love that. And to be fair, like that's something uh, like that uh, monthly pass uh, kind of debacle. That's something that anyone like aut- autism spectrum or not could like uh, could succumb to. Like we've all like read something a bit too quickly and then or got on the wrong train or whatever or uh, and I know it's probably like not exactly the same but it's something it's something in this book that shows that this I don't really feel like this is specifically just for people on the autism bedroom it's it's something that anyone can relate to I feel I mean uh, do you guys think maybe this is something for anyone Um, I arrived in Britain when I was 17 and I went to dancing college in the middle of London. Now, I came from a country where uh, New Zealand at that time had pretty much one train up the islands uh, once a day and then at night it went back again. So um, I was really unprepared for these trains where you were on the correct platform at the correct time, a train drew up and I'd step on it. And then, oh my goodness, I I would... be diverted to sort of the ends of the country, not realising that you really have to wait for your train. It took me a little bit of, of sort of getting carted to, to really get that. Uh, and like the London Underground with like multiple split tracks on the Northern Line ends up in either Edgeware or Highbarn, depending on if you've not looked at the sign right or not. Yes, or... Not, not, not to mention the red lighting from underneath and the voice going, mind the gap. <laughs> um, so I was really... London Underground Overlord, yes. Yes. Um, in the in another book, The Londoners, uh, a woman arriving from Africa, she arrived at Heathrow and said that she was there fleeing persecution. And Heathrow said, yep, that sounds correct. We'll, we'll give you uh, somewhere to stay. And here's your tube ticket. She had never been on an underground train. And she was pretty terrified. And she... Uh, she just the, the sliding doors. She just couldn't bring herself to go through them, and so she she hovered on the platform, watching as other people managed to get through these doors correctly with all the noise. And again, neurotypical, but the first time. Um, and uh, eventually, she saw another black family um, getting on the train, and it was a mother and a father with a couple of kids. And she should scurried in behind them like a chicken, trying to sort of you know join join another uh, another flock, and got on the train. And when she really traumatized, uh, arrived at her lodging house um, in the evening, they said, oh, we, you know, Heathrow let us know that you'd arrived on the 6 a.m. plane and uh, we were expecting you much sooner. This was about 10 at night. Um, she'd, <laughs> she'd gone about two stops and it had just been so terrifying. But the thing with oh autism is you, um, you can have that sort of huge traumatic sensory experience without... Uh, without it being quite so new. Um, and I'm quite sympathetic to the parents in this family as well, um, uh, wanting to help and yet give somebody their own um, independence, you know, and their own right to decide. Yeah, that's a good, like, you're kind of, if you're interacting with someone on the autism spectrum and you're not, um, you kind of want to be sensitive uh, and obviously be aware that, okay, they might be finding something a little bit more difficult than, uh, than you give uh, sort of, than you give credit for, uh, or something you take for granted. But then 
um, you don't want to have to keep on coming back to that person and say, okay, you're right, you're right, you're doing fine, you're okay, you're okay, you want to... Yeah, because that would really yeah, annoy them. Yeah, yeah, because that's patronising and you want to be like sensitive, but um, still giving them independence, obviously. Um, I mean, just on that sort of train story a little bit, I, I remember myself when I was a little bit younger, um, I remember, uh, I'm into video games, and there was a live kind of video game event, and it was happening in Finchley, in like North London, and I'm coming from um, Essex, which is like east of London. Uh, so trying to get the trains to that when I was about, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, something like that. Um, like I'd seen the system of it, I'd seen the, the mechanics of, okay, the destination is on the is on the electronic display above the train and this is the platform where the train arrives so I just need to make sure that the display says the station I want to go to and then I'll get on that train that arrives next. I knew how that worked and I was standing on the platform for I'd say maybe about an hour 45 minutes before realizing I'm on the platform going in the opposite direction to where I need to go to. I'm heading south right now and the platform I want is the northbound platform and I just sat there as soon as I as soon as I realized that at my own little depressed cry yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like everyone's like kind of getting on and off the platform getting off the train no one saw it i was just like by myself just going ah i'm yeah. an idiot <laughs> um, just like really really struggling with that um, um i was just wondering because uh you know, now that we've got um, City Mapper and TFL apps on our phones, Rebecca, has that helped you? Was this uh, was this a particular challenge for you, I think, or just a regular Londoner challenge? Because Josh and I were both challenged moving to London. <laughs> when I went to university, I commuted using, and it took me. It used to take me two about two hours to get to university in the mornings. And I, because it was local, I'd always gone the way, and I didn't have at the time city map or anything like that. And I'd always gone the way that I used to go to, because I went to Kingston and I lived in Sutton. So I went always used to go the way I knew when I was a kid. And it took me forever, I think it took me about a turn to get the guts to not use a bus and use the train. And then I used the train, I used to only go to one stop, like I used to go from Wimbledon to Kingston on the train, and everyone's going, why do you do that? Like everyone at university is like, why do you go to that stop? Because our university is in Kingston. Yeah. And they were like, well, why don't you go to Surbiton? I'm like, but why would I do that? And then literally one day, I think the Kingston train was delayed or something, and I thought, well, there's a Surbiton train coming. I'll try it and see what happens. And then never look back. Um, because I got on the Serbent train and it went straight from Wimbledon straight through to Serbent and didn't have to stop at any stops. But times when it was like I was at uni and they used to cancel trains or trains used to terminate three stops before and you have to work out where the hell you're going from there was just an absolute nightmare. And if I used, I, but then I started to get the tram. So adding a tram into it, so I used to get the bus, then a tram, and then a train. And then if the trams were terminating at somewhere, and you were like, well, where's that? Where's the next one going to be? It was more about timings and public transport in London. Because I think a lot of autistic people stick to times. So if you turn around and said that I'm getting the 10 past 12 train to Kingston, <laughs> and then it will turn up at 1 o'clock, you're like, well, why did it take that long? Now everything else is going wrong. So I think more with London Underground, it's more... I'm 
unpredictability if there's delays and stuff and how you get past I don't know if you don't I mean getting on tube I still hate getting on tubes and it took me till I was 18 and months of counselling to get on a tube by myself but I still want to get on a tube by myself these days because tubes are scary places so are you saying when you were transporting to uni, um, you was taking kind of a uh, a less uh, sort of optimum route because that's how you felt comfortable and that looked weird? It depends. Well, at the first, at the, at the beginning, yes, I was taking a more comfortable route. But then in the end, I realised realistically, I had to sort of force myself to go different ways depending on trying to navigate the obstacles. And I also commuted to work as well um, at the same time. So I was commuting to Chesterton every day. Okay, so, so what made you like, what made you overcome that mentally though? Like the fact that you kind of just realize that one way is just more convenient, you just had to get over it. Like how did you get around that in your head? When it came to uni, because everyone else was doing it, going to Surbiton for instance, yeah. I was like, well, everyone else could do it, why can't I? So I think I just took okay. it upon my, and then I used to go from uni to the station with them, and then sometimes they'd get the train as me, so only for a couple of stops, but still, it was like, oh, I'm not on my own, this is fun. But it was when I was working, and going commuting to Chessington all the time, on the weekends as well, that's when all the delays and that happened. So in my head, if I was like, I, I just panicked about being late for work more than anything. No. So, whatever train was coming, because I was like, well, I'll get on it. If it's going towards where I want to go, it's just in the south or Turbiton, I'll get on it. And then it would get into the other end, and then there was a bus that only came like every half an hour going to my work. And then one day they decided to completely cut that bus out, and then it was like, well, now what do I do? <laughs> now, um, <laughs> uh, Michael in the book has um, some examples of uh, getting highly anxious like that, you know, the, and, um, uh, and does a, a plea for um, neurotypicals not to uh, uh, fuss at people on the autism spectrum for having stimmies. Uh, harmless little habits like uh, flapping your hands or, or a fidget that uh, calms you down. And in fact, I have seen uh, quite a few stimmies that are meant to be sort of invisible. Um, if you are, for example, with your uh, peers at university, you're not going to be wanting to be seen to do something odd. But you can, in your pencil case, have a rubber pencil, which you can chew away at and look normal and still not wind up with a mouthful of pencil shavings, which, you know, different people. But um, uh, in the book when Michael uh, met Dr. Grandin, uh, for the first time when he was seven and his mother was selling little stimmy toys, fidget toys. She had made a little packed box. And so Dr. Grandin, who's quite famous in the autistic community, um, uh, came over to their, their table and his mother was so pleased that he didn't realise that she was uh, distinguished and pretty famous. Um, he was he was demonstrating the little finger traps in the in the stimmies and had got his yeah. fingers completely caught in them. Yeah. So unexpectedly, Dr. Grandin, who had just finished her talk, came over to our booth looking intrigued by the pencil case full of fidgets. My mom, seizing the day, insisted she take a fidget kit on the house. Now I was a little distracted trying to dislodge my fingers from the finger traps, but apparently, after receiving her 
sample. Dr. Grandin raised her eyebrows, opened the kit, and took out all the toys she liked best. So even somebody who's like academically quite distinguished can like the uh, the fidgets and the soothing habits. I like the term stimmies. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take that one on. To be fair, um, and also just for the listeners, um, uh, Rebecca mentioned a couple of place names earlier: Kingston, Wimbledon, Surbiton. These are all places just below South, uh, just below uh, London, South London, uh, sort of all within an hour of each other. So, uh, so yeah, just to give you that context there. So um, uh, we're almost out of time, guys. I wanted to get your opinions on uh, sort of a score or a recommendation, or if you would recommend. Funny, don't look autistic, a uh, comedian spectrum. Uh, we'll start with you, Rebecca. I remember you said at the top of the episode um, that uh, boys tend to get diagnosed a lot easier earlier um, and girls tend not to due to it being described as hormones. Um, uh, so, uh, and yeah, like we've said, Michael uh, kind of acknowledges that he's only speaking from his own perspective, but um, maybe it seems to imply that he'd been right maybe from a sense of sort of autistic privilege maybe that because he knew he had from earlier in age whereas you potentially did it it might not be quite reflective so um yeah what would you recommend uh, this book to anyone i would recommend it to get sort of an overview of autism um because there is good bits in there like there's there's little graphs or pictures in there like the autistic brain as Lindsay was saying stuff about this is what you could say but to an autistic person this it could mean something completely different um there's good little anecdotes and things like that but i would recommend it but don't take it as face value as every single autistic person has had every single one of these experiences but to learn about someone's life and how they cope with it then yes but as I say, don't take it as face value because every single person is different. And it's also different. So someone in, he, yeah, I would just think, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It's hard to explain it. Like, yeah, I, I think we got it. I think that makes sense. I think you can make it, that makes sense. Don't yeah. take it as face value. Oh, well, or don't take it as for everybody. Yeah. And Lindsay, would you recommend it? Um, yes, particularly at the moment when um, the news, uh, I mean, it's a nice break from Brexit, but the news is constantly COVID and the uh, constantly counting up the death toll. And it's good to remember that uh, there's other problems in the world. There's, and it's quite a hopeful book uh, in that his positivity, the way he gets around problems um, and the way uh, that his family support um, uh is, is there, even um, at one point he's sort of going home less and less because his problems are interacting with his brothers and his family reaches out to him um, uh, to, and, and he works out ways to, to help that, to make sure he can still be close to his family. And I thought that that was uh, a very cheerful break from our current situation. The Our online services have got quite a few of these books that you can read as a book group and this particular month with Autism Week coming in it, uh, this was a really good choice for highlighting um, uh, autism. And as both Rebecca and Michael in the book points out, uh, you're bound to know somebody on the autistic spectrum. This is, this is just something that's uh, uh, probably going to be true. So I'd recommend it. It's fun. It's an easy read. Yeah, I think true. we all do stuff that is probably... A bit weird. We all find noises like I think we all 
in school I wasn't old enough to feel this pain, but chalk on a board, everyone hates chalk on a whiteboard. Yeah, yeah, even just nails stringent, on you know, nails, nails on a board, anything like that. Just because yeah. we all hate that doesn't mean you have autism. Don't take it to face value. But yeah. also, it is, as Lindsay said, it is also good to, I think personally, I like this book because it's highlighting autism. And it's not because it's so invisible. It's an invisible disability. It's good to highlight that it's out there. Be wary of people in general because you never know what they're going through because you can't see it. Yeah, and I think um, uh, we've kind of hopefully hinted at it for, for you listeners, um, but this book is by a comedian, so it's funny. It's funny. There's like yeah. lots of funny, funny bits in it. Um, and yeah, whether you're kind of looking for... He puts, any... he puts a bit of light-hearted take on a subject that can be quite morbid. Yeah. Well, not morbid. Morbid is one word. Be a bit like dull. Yeah, well, a bit serious. Um, a bit serious um, as well, but he does make it quite funny. So yeah, like uh, Lindsay just alluded to, this um, book is part of the Big Library Read, which is an online uh, global book club, um, and uh, it can be downloaded as an ebook. Uh, it's free if you're a Sutton Library card holder, um, and you can register on our website if you're not, uh, but it can be downloaded through my library app or through Lee. The Libby app, which is a, uh, they're both apps in order, uh, which are ways to get books, uh, sort of straight to your phone, the comfort of your own home. Uh, so, and if you don't have a library card, just follow the instructions. We're signing you up online. I also briefly mentioned the book Craig Taylor Londoners, um, which I also highly recommend and is also available to uh, library card holders all over the country. So, do have a look at all these wonderful free books. And with that, we'll say goodbye. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining me. Uh, I've been Josh, and uh, we hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.